Welcome to a new episode of The Cartridge Club, where we discuss our game of the month with members of the Cartridge Club community. If you played along, you can always share your own experiences in the forums at cartridgeclub.org, in our community's Discord, or across social media by using the hashtag PlayAlongWithPrime. If you're familiar with the show, you may already know me as Musty Hobbit, and I am one of the hosts. This episode will be focused on our December 2019 game of the month, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Joining us for this month's discussion are two newcomers to CC Prime, Dan from Winter Ion Game Studios, and Brian, aka Briz, from the Off-Kilter Podcast. This show will contain spoilers for the game, and in the description I've noted the exact times that you'll want to skip over if you intend to keep the biggest moments of KOTOR a surprise. So with that, let's dive into this Star Wars tale, and may the Force be with you. almost feel like this game rides on its characters i mean it, it kind of has to it, it is very it is one of the more character driven rpgs that i've ever played um what do you guys like who's your favorite character dan let's start with you normally in stories like this and i'm a little bit biased because my early experience with star wars is actually more from the tabletop rpg than it is the um the movies or you know any of the the film stuff um probably t3 uh if if only because uh, i i specifically remember the quest where you have to pick somebody uh to bust you out after your ship's being uh commandeered yeah and that that is sort of that simultaneous like you're treated very differently when you're doing it from the droid's perspective right it's like a whole different world thing um and only you realize that you're really as skilled as you are it's kind of a fun way to sort of subvert um, when you're a Jedi or a Sith, you know, the, you're this huge larger than life, you know, hero or villain, as it were. Um, you're still capable of so much as a droid, but the world around you treats you so differently. And I always, I always thought that was really interesting. That is really interesting. I like that. I kind of came at Star Wars from the other side of the spectrum. So I was a huge fan of the original movies as a kid and never played any sort of RPGs or anything like that. You know, I played like the Super Nintendo uh, Star Wars games and that sort of thing. I never played a game like this that's based on like D&D kind of rules. So the all the stuff about rolls and saves and stuff was so new to me. I had, I had to figure it out uh, at first, but I was actually really surprised to hear you say T3 because in my mind, he was like such a lackluster character. I guess I just didn't use him enough or something. Um, but I was going to say Jolie uh, 
because he just has that cool old uh, crotchety guy that <laughs> he's got that attitude where he doesn't really care what you think. Um, I also appreciate the fact that he's kind of pragmatic in his force use. Like he's not super light side or super dark side. He's just kind of like in the middle somewhere. So I, I liked I liked him and I liked like the little comments that he'd jump in with every once in a while. Good choice. That's a good choice. And 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 two characters that that you get, you know, midway into your quest. I I feel like a lot of people's answer to this question. My answer some days would be HK forty seven just because he's written so well. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I really I really like how how especially if you're playing Dark Side. Uh he, he really like it and I, I Having just played Light Side and for this month, I I really didn't get a ton of this, but just the the way that he talks down to you as an individual, it it feels I don't know, it feels good, which is very <laughs> strange to say. Like just the way the, the way that he deals with humans in general is is a yeah. lot of fun. But I I think I I'm going to say I like Bastelon. I don't know. If it's a Jennifer Hale thing, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I mean, she. I realized there was like four or five games with her in it this year that I played. Um, I really like her, and would, it's why it saddens me, like how things went. We'll we'll get to that eventually, but the, mm-hmm. there, there's some stuff that I need to talk about about what happens with her character that really bothered me. But we'll get into that. Uh, as we as we go through here, so uh, obviously for the Cartridge Club again, we were playing uh, Knights of the Republic, and this was not my first time playing the game, and I don't believe it was either of your first time playing the game. But do you have any recollection? Do you do you remember when you dove into the game for the first time? Like what what aside from the Star Wars name, was there anything else that caused you to get pulled into uh, this epic? Um, actually, the first time I tried this game, it was shortly after it came out. A friend of mine had it and loved it and tried to get me to play it, so he loaned it to me. And I tried it, and I played for about 20 minutes, and I was like, what is this? Like, I was so used to just straight-up action games, um, you know, where you could kind of button mash and slash people with your lightsaber. So the first time I got into combat, and the screen paused, I was like, what, what's going on? Like, I did not, I couldn't wrap my head around this sort of uh, real time with pause, with dice roll in the background combat. And it, it also threw me off because I was such a huge fan of the movies and this being set so far back in history, everything's very different. So it didn't look like the Star Wars that I knew. So I, I tried to play this game for maybe half an hour, and I was like, this is just not for me. And I gave it back to my friend. And it took me uh, probably like four or five months after that where it was just getting heaps and heaps of praise. I was like, all right, I should try this again. Went back at it with a you know fresh perspective and... The second time it really hooked me, it was especially the um, characters that were so well written and had such good backstories that 
they kind of give you breadcrumbs, you know, as you go through the game, you learn a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, and that I think is the, the aspect that really hooked me and just finally getting my head around that weird kind of combat that I wasn't used to. But Dan, what, what sort of, what sort of memories do you have of like your first time with this one? So I actually watched someone play KOTOR before I got a chance to play it myself. Um, a good friend of mine uh, from outside of Baltimore uh, had it for Xbox. And he and I had both grown up playing a whole lot of RPGs together. Um, I have memories of he and his brother and me uh, playing through Secret of Mana using the multi-tap for hours upon hours at end. Um, so it wasn't weird for me to like go visit him and see him playing an RPG. I was surprised when he was playing one on Xbox. You know, it's a system I associated with uh, things like Crimson Skies and Xbox Live and, and Halo. Um, and then the second thing that really blew my mind is I watched and I immediately realized what the combat system was. It was the D20 system, which was fairly new at the time, right? Right around the uh, turn of the century, you know, it come out uh, third edition of D&D. And I'd started working at a game store in 2001, so I was intimately familiar with third edition d and I'd been selling a lot of the books, people were running those games, you know, all the time. And I was intrigued that there was a basically a video game RPG that was using that system. I'd known that um, Bioware uh, had done, you know, the Baldur's Gate stuff using the old second edition D&D. Um, not to get too into the weeds about it yet, um, but I was never really a fan of pre-third edition mechanics, um, FACO and all that. Uh, so I was really excited to see an implementation of third ed, especially in something other than the, the base D&D setting. So that's kind of what prompted me to jump into it um although i did so uh through the pc uh rather than the xbox and my initial experience was actually pretty buggy i, I ran into lots of issues where my save wouldn't work anymore or um you know i had problems and this was before we had you know a lot of patches uh coming available uh so i actually let the game sit a little bit uh came back to it later um but once i was in i, I was hooked and i played uh, clear through on a light side build very nice I wanted to start light side and then I kept getting tested. I kept get, I, like, I felt so one of the, one of the beautiful things about this game is one of those games that, that introduces uh, that sort of binary nature of here's a choice. Your choice is going to have an impact and your, your impact then drives your character in one direction or the other. Um, and I went into it with intentions of being full light side and it's so expensive to be so good. Because <laughs> uh, I, I recall, I think the first time I played through it, I think I went dark side the whole way. Because I, I think my friend had said, like, you'll have a ton of fun if you go, the, if you go in this direction. Um, you'll have a lot more, you know, many more credits and all of these things. But the cooler powers, apparently, rumor has it, are locked behind <laughs> behind that. Now, I was telling myself, until this month, until this playthrough, I thought I had finished this game. I was fairly certain that I had. And I don't, I did not. Like, what? I don't, I don't know why that is. Like, I don't know if I just, I, if I lost it, but there's stuff that I saw that I was like, I don't remember this. Uh, oh. So either... And I, and, I, and I don't think it's a light side, dark side thing. Like, I think that I think that for some reason, I never finished this game when I was younger. And they're back in the mid 2000s. Um, 
and I have no reason to justify it. Was no that excuse. was that just like you thought you'd finished it and you put I it away, so. or I knew? I mean, I I knew the big thing. Right. We'll talk about eventually. I, sure. I, I I I I knew the big moment, and then for some reason I had thought that I had like, but that like as I played through it, like just that that last stretch, um, even the unknown world, like I didn't I didn't recognize any of that. So I I don't know what happened. I don't know why I didn't finish it. Like it dawned on me mid playthrough that I'm like I have not finished this game. I'm very scared, <laughs> but. But no, I, I I had a I had a blast playing it then, uh, and and funny enough, we were playing uh, the version of um, tabletop uh, Star Wars RPG because they they started to print the books. I had a group that was doing that, and then when the same friend who was uh, GMing for us was like, "Dude, it's here! I don't even have to do anything. They already have a story." Like I'm like, "That's amazing." Uh, and and being an, an Xbox guy at the time, it was like, well, I have no reason not to pick this up. And then, strange me not not finishing the game. <laughs> I don't know. I uh, it amazes me to see how much of this game like is reflected in m- the stuff that Bioware has has done since then. Uh, like the Dragon Age, Dragon Age is probably the, the biggest example I, th- I I can think of. Do either of you find that there are other games that maybe aren't Bioware developed that have sort of adopted this KOTOR approach to combat, storytelling, etc.? Dan, I want to start with you, if possible. I'm going to be honest. Um, I hope not. And I, and I know that sounds crazy, uh, but hear me out. I love Bioware as authors. I think they do a great job writing story. And I think the systems they develop for their combat, the sort of the balance and um, the way they interact with the narrative works well. I really hate pausing and starting and pausing and starting combat constantly. And that breakup and that flow made going through the great stories of Baldur's Gate a chore, um, made Dragon Age something I really didn't even want to play. Um, Mass Effect, thank goodness for the wheel uh, to quick select things, because if not for that, I may have been turned off of that series, and that was an excellent three games of narrative to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something so disjointed about a game that can't decide if it wants to be turn-based or real-time, especially when the difficulty of the game is high enough to justify the constant pausing, but the flow of the game functions better when you're allowing it to run. Um, it's actually one of the reasons that in KOTOR uh, I have a certain build that I like to go through the game on. Um, it's not a min-max build by any stretch of the imagination, but it does make combat fairly quick and straightforward, which means I can play it without much pausing. And, and that greatly heightens my enjoyment of the game because when I'm being a little too strategic um, with Knights of the Old Republic, uh, you know, when I'm playing more of a caster build or a scoundrel, um, yeah, I end up disliking the fights a lot more uh, just by virtue of not enjoying the way that they're played out mechanically. Um, I do think that, especially from the narrative, um, I guess you want to call it like a binary morality system or just sort of narrative arcs that take variables based on your behavior and use that to guide you through either mechanical changes in your character, physical appearance changes in your character, um, or, you know, advancement, locking things out, making things available. I think that stuff's excellent. And games would be wise to learn from that model. 
because oftentimes uh, a lot of games allow you to build a character a certain way with no real concern for how you're acting in the game. And I think that's one of the best things Nice Little Public does is it ties in what you're saying and what you're doing and sort of how you function um, as a PC through that. I like that. Brian, do you, do you agree? I agree uh, with a lot of what you said, but um, I personally, I feel like I kind of go back and forth on the, whether you pause a lot and, you know, choose your strategies versus, um, you know, reducing the amount of interruptions and kind of making it a better flow. Sometimes I like the tactical pausing and, you know, telling this guy to use this spell on this guy. And, and um, with Dragon Age Origins, like I did that through the entire game and I loved it. You know, I had each guy had its own role. I went, you know how like uh, when your companion levels up, you can go in there and, you know, pick everything you want, or you can just say auto level this guy up. I don't want to do it. In uh, Dragon Age, I went through every single character and built them exactly how I wanted them. And I spent that time, played the game for like 70 hours. But, you know, when I was playing through KOTOR, KOTOR recently, I just did not have the patience for that. And so, you know, I'm just auto leveling up and when I got into combat, I would sometimes like to just, you know, control my character and just let combat play out. But I found it too difficult to do that most of the time. Like, I had to go in and try to use crowd control and make sure people are attacking the same target and all that sort of stuff. So sometimes I like that and sometimes I don't. It just kind of depends on my mood. But in terms of any other uh, developers that are making anything like that, I can't really think of any um, other than maybe the most recent game. Uh, I think it's from Spiders, uh, Greedfall. I might have that developer wrong, but it, I hear, I haven't played it, but I hear it has that sort of companion system with the uh, deep backstories for them and uh, morality choices and stuff. Um, but other than that, I can't really think of any other developers that make the same kind of game. I can't either, but I uh, for, to to speak to the the pausing. I, I I think that's a good point to to click on to in this playthrough. I I I remember the first time I went through. I think I went was very light on the pausing, and I was trying to do as much of that in real time as possible. Uh, I don't know how I even got past the first world, Taurus. Uh, <laughs> There is a the fight the last fight that you have in Taurus uh, is super difficult and I picked the wrong party like I picked the wrong people to bring along for that for that one because um, mm -hmm. in that situation and I I realize we're jumping in without really introducing any of the characters but um, there is a Mandalorian who's no longer sports the awesome armor that is now uh, standard for Mandalorians but. Candorous, uh, and he sets you up with some. Uh, I don't know if he's a smuggler. He's he's some kind of like mob boss type person who has a ship that we can take to get off to get off world. And he's like, "You'll come with me. We'll pretend to be new people working for him, 
And then we can bring one one other person. I'm like, ooh, you know what? There's going to be doors. We might have some some locks to deal with. So I brought T3. Of all of of everyone, I brought T3. So I had to do that fight with T3 and underleveled Candorus and myself, who was a melee fighter. And uh, you have to fight against both uh, uh, against him. And uh, the Calo Nord. Calo Nord. Yeah, that was I brutal. Just... It was so brutal. Uh, and so I learned that was kind of the moment that it was like, pause the game, pause the game, take the time. Like I queued up that fight with us throwing every grenade that I had. <laughs> uh, it's just like I don't care, just keep going. So I had both. I had all three of. I have all three. Yeah, you can throw grenades. I had everyone just lobbing grenades at those guys because I had no way to get me, the the uh, vibroblade-wielding uh, fighter at that point, close. Uh, yeah. yeah, It worked. It took me a few times. I was pretty frustrated. Um, there were a few battles like that that, like, if it wasn't for pausing and wasn't for that, uh, I would have been toast. Absolutely. Um, yeah, sure. Ter- Terrace is um, among the trickier places in the game just because part of it is the way they scale the game and part of it is just the D20 system in general. There's sort of a weird non-linear growth model in the game, uh, especially there's a second big-time jump, right, when you go from um, characters without force powers to characters with them. Uh, but just uh, sort of that slow initiation, the first few levels uh, of growth uh, strength-wise, um, getting off of Terrace is huge. Once you hit that point, there's sort of a, a point where your character growth and your uh, abilities grow faster than the world around you does, and things start to, for the most part, getting easier at that point. But yeah, it's weird, because normally in most RPGs and most sort of narrative-based games like this that give you the um, characters to build up over time, Right, the idea is they start you out easy and build you up um, to, to bigger and bigger challenges because you're supposed to be developing mastery with the game. Um, but since a lot of this is unknowing and understanding D20, uh, it actually kind of starts out harder and gets easier um, through your mastery, but it's weird that it should be that way. You know, you'd think it'd be the other way around normally in a game. Yeah, I mean, you'd want, you'd want games to be welcoming. Uh, and 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 I, I think I know a number of people who've who've been like I could just couldn't I couldn't manage. Now the the ship is good. Um, when you're when you're escaping off of um at the very very beginning when you wake up. Um, but once you've landed on Terrace after those first couple of quests, um, especially once you go down uh to the sub levels, it gets pretty ugly pretty quick. Well, there there are, there are a few moments in the Black Volcar base that are, if you're not, uh, if you either. Lack skills, which, which, depending on how you've built your character, uh, you could have absolutely no computer use uh, whatsoever. I think I had a negative one computer <laughs> use for the entire game uh, because I, I I started as a soldier. Did what what? So Dan, you you mentioned you have like a, a preferable build. Yeah, for, your main, for so... your main character, I'm I'm curious as to what that is because I I went soldier because I wanted. Knowing what I know about this game and knowing right. that I would become a Jedi, I was like, I want to use a lightsaber. Okay. So I'm not going to be a scout. Uh, I'm not going to be a, a, 
uh, scoundrel either as like I just want to melee fight. Yeah, well. and, and I do the same usually. So my, my build is light side guardian, two weapon, flurry and speed, persuasion, and treat injury. Um, treat injury uh, with the med kits is actually really good healing. Uh, and you can find enough of them if you dig around over time uh, that it can kind of substitute for a healer early on. Um, and in a pinch, it's much more responsive than asking uh, another Jedi to, to heal you later. Um, besides, they can spend their time attacking or using uh, any of the Force buffs in the game. Uh, the other advantage with D20, just by the nature of the system, is when you do get weapons, um, there's mods for weapons, right? And especially with the lightsabers, the ability to mod those, there's a lot of things that have static bonuses, not ranged bonuses or bonuses that scale with the weapon, but static bonuses to hit, bonuses to damage. Once those bonuses exist, attacking more often immediately triggers those bonuses more often. So flurry, speed, multiple weapons, you're compounding, compounding, compounding those static bonuses, uh, and that leads to just very high consistent damage. Um, it takes a little time to ramp up. Um, so yes, you do have a little challenge early in Terrace. You may need to level up a little bit before um, leaving it. Uh, but once you've done that, you start to kind of coast the amount of damage you can put out and the speed you put it out. Um, there's a couple other things you need. You need leap to close distances. You may want a rank of throw lightsaber or some other things. Uh, but for the most part, just as many attacks as you can throw out and around is the way to go, I find. The uh, first time I played, I just kind of uh, lucked into going soldier. Um, I, I didn't, I wasn't really thinking about it ahead of time, but you're right. Like later in the game, you, once you get that lightsaber, it's like, I'm not going to switch back to a blaster. So it's good to have all that strength and constitution. So you can just get up in there and, and wreck people. And uh, my first playthrough, I went guardian as well. So I was just trying to get, I was pushing out as much damage as I could. I I was new to this sort of um, D20 system. I had never played in, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? D&D &D or live action, whatever. Um, so I, I was new to this concept, so I didn't really understand the, the min-maxing aspect of it or, you know, how things compound with each other. I was just kind of, Picking what I thought was cool and what seemed to work. And I eventually just had like a two or three skill um, set that I would just roll through. I would um, like force push and then do like a leaping attack or something. And then I'd run away and do, do the same thing again. It was probably kind of hilarious to somebody that actually knew what was going on, but it was effective. So I, I went with it in my most recent playthrough i i kind of it's been so long since i'd played it before i just kind of went in fresh and didn't really think about what i was going to do in the end and i actually did pick a scoundrel i was like oh it's star wars i'll be a, i'll be a cool scoundrel i'll dual wield blasters and then of course i got to a jedi again i was like ah you know what <laughs> i hate blasters again uh, so this time i was going with a dual wielding um lightsabers but up to that point i had kind of put a lot of points in demolitions and 
other things like that awareness so my current character is not as good as it should be um which kind of led to me having to do a lot of that pausing the combat and assigning actions to everybody to make sure we were on a dying but uh yeah if anybody hasn't played this and they're thinking about play it i might might say go soldier and just put all your stuff into melee uh, well like i i know that in D&D, there is a there is a feat called weapon finesse and it doesn't mm. exist in this game and weapon finesse swaps your to hit and damage with melee weapons with your dex bonus yes yeah, so uh weapon finesse basically allows you to use uh light or finesse weapons uh you essentially use your dex mods that your strength mod with them they did right. add it for the sequel yes mm. yeah so initially that uh, that would have been great for what you were doing Ryan, you know, right? Yeah. If you were you were coming in with blasters, then and then all of a sudden you gotta re- kind of rewrite everything. Um, there's plenty of ways to counter that. Uh, you do get some boost to your to your um, attributes uh, throughout throughout the game, as you would in a normal a normal D20 style campaign. But um, you are limited. Uh, you only gain 20 levels max in this game. Uh, I found. And I don't know if this is just for those who are maybe uh, I I found myself saving levels, saving the leveling for the moments when I needed it uh, for all my characters, um, especially in the late game. Uh, I found that because the moment that you if you pause to level uh, and you just do one level, it refills your health. Right. Instantly. So it was a free heal on those guys. Um, and uh, I found myself, at least the way the party that I had the most was uh, myself as the two lightsaber wielding Jedi Guardian, uh, light side, and then uh, HK 47. And then uh, whichever of the quote light side Jedi I had with me whichever ones I could have with me. Uh, and so uh, they didn't heal very, like, well, HK, HK has to, HK can't be healed by force healing. Right, and it should be noted, force healing existed long before everyone else was talking about force healing. <laughs> <laughs> guys have a favorite party to bring with like did you always stick with the same people or did did you like did you like to mix it up as well i'd say i probably had three characters that i stuck with the most which were karth vesla and jolie Um, but i did like to mix it up based on where i was going so like if i was going to keshik i brought zalbar with me and if i was bringing him I would usually bring um what's the Twi'lek's name? I forget. I'm blanking. Mission. 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 Cause, you know, they were a pair, so I liked them to hang out or whatever. If I was taking uh HK with me, I might bring 
Candorous because they're both kind of dark characters. And I feel like I felt like they would get along, you know? So like, I'm like projecting emotions onto these pre-programmed characters. Oh, yeah. I'm like matchmaking. Um, so I'm, I mixed it up, but I, I stuck with probably Bastila and Karth the most just because they, they're who you start with. So I, I kind of felt like me, Karth and Bastila were like Lucan and Leia, you know what I mean? And the other characters were kind of our little gang of henchmen or whatever. That makes sense. That makes sense. No, I get it. And I have, I have some similar vibes. So I'm pretty traditional when I play RPGs. And, and yeah, both Karth and Bastila are so central, right? They feel like such main characters that I really didn't remove them unless I had to, or I didn't have them available for some reason, um, or if I needed to splash one character in or out for some reason or another. Um, I would usually um, try to skill max on characters like T3 and missions, so they were really good specialists if I knew I needed them for one section or another. Um, I'll admit I didn't do as much bringing characters along for narrative reasons uh, in subsequent playthroughs. Like the first time, absolutely. Uh, the first time I went through the game, it was very much, is this the, the place the character should go? Um, but because after that first playthrough, you start to learn a lot about how the different worlds work and, and what happens uh, in them. A lot of the content, you know, you can kind of get away with using your favorites and then you just start building them to, to sort of synergize with each other and sort of that tank healer DPS hybrid model. Um, Juhani and Jolie, uh, I found, made the game a little too easy um, just because the, the three of them as a build, when you have three really well-specced uh, melee lightsaber users out there together. Um, there's very little that doesn't just drop. Uh, so um, if I get stuck in a particularly challenging part, I, I can always switch to that. Um, but usually at that point of the game, nothing is posing too great a risk. So I tended to stick with my base party. I want to talk about Jahani for a second. Because I made a fatal mistake. Uh, and she was not with me for any of this game. Wow. Uh, <laughs> tragic. And, and, and uh, yeah, I, I, wanted, I just want to briefly touch on the fact that, like, I was trying to talk to her. So the first time that you meet um, Juhani, so you've, you've sort of been forced out of this main, this main planet. Let me kind of set, this, set the stage here. You've been forced away from this initial planet uh, because the... Sith fleet has decided to start bombarding uh, the planet of Taurus. And you, uh, having just rescued a Jedi named Bastila, uh, decide she's, she senses something about you is special and decides to take you to Dantooine. In questing on Dantooine, you come across Juhani, who's, who's a uh, extremely conflicted dark side user uh, who's is she is she causing more problems or like somebody tells you to just just go bring her back right like they would they want her back at the temple to kind of i believe the quest was clear the uh taint at the grove or the darkness at the grove or something like that it was taint i'm pretty sure it was taint <laughs> <laughs> but i went there talked to her and i got down to the conversation and, and 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 some of the points that I was making was like you should go back. Things are okay. You can you know you can you can come back from this. And 
she wasn't responsive to anything. Uh, so I was like, well, I've, I've, I've exhausted every single care, uh, every single option here. I've said all the right, what I feel like is all the right things. So I'm going to pick the other option. And she's like, I guess it's death then. And then, and then she fought me and I was like, what am I supposed to do? I was supposed to walk away. I think supposed to just leave her and then she would come like she would join me later i i think is how things were supposed to go and i ended up offing her which i i I didn't have a choice like it was really it was frustrating because i'm like do i need to reload a save and i think i it would have been that was the point before i started liberally uh saving uh i would have lost like an hour easily Mm -hmm. uh in that instant i was just like come on like oh well i guess we're just not gonna have this person with me so so be it i think that's kind of a cool feature though right it's like based on your actions this one character that could have been with you throughout like 40 hours of gameplay just did not exist at all yeah i think that's kind of neat it's not the first time games have done that right you've got um first of all example always comes to my mind is shadow in final fantasy 6 right character really cool really interesting conflicted character there's lots of cool backstory that you can completely miss if you you know don't wait on the floating continent if you don't happen to go to inns and sleep and see those you know flashbacks and the like and there's really no in-game cue to tell you those things or to warn you there's no flag that says hey you're about to lose a potential pc for the rest of the game are you sure you want to continue yes slash no um is sometimes it's just the thing you have to to learn, be disappointed, look up on game facts, find out you were wrong, and get it right the next time through. Big a big face palm right there. Just yeah. yeah. I right. think it's it's cool though that in Kotor you can do that, and you can still finish the game. Right? There's games like Morrowind where you can kill like an important character, and then it's just like, well, you can keep playing if you want, but the game's basically unwinnable right. at this point. You have lost the main quest. Yeah. So I think it's cool that they at least had flexibility in that, you know, yeah, you can lose this character forever, but, you know, it's not the end of the world. You can keep going. I I, I found myself mourning a character that I might not have even used at all in my party. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you only get like nine characters, right? So losing one is, it's a big chunk. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and it was my entire opportunity to have a three Jedi setup. Uh, I very rarely brought all three or had two Jedi with me or two lightsaber users, I should say. But uh, that was my missed opportunity. But (laughs) I guess it just means I'll have to go back and play it again uh, at some point in time in the future. But put some points uh, into persuasion so you can talk her down. Yeah, yeah. I found myself failing horribly. And maybe it's because I also, in the game like this, I put no points into charisma. Like, <laughs> like I totally suboptimal in, in in the way that I build a character here. But, uh, so let's let's uh, continue on from from that point in the story. Then, uh, you 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 end up being. Uh, as an adult, as a grown adult adopted into the uh, Jedi Academy, there's a there's a Rocky style montage of you learning stuff and floating books in the air, and um, and then you get sent on a mission to uh, 
uh, discover the Star Forge. Oh well, there's one. There's one on Dantooine. There's a a, a map, map to yeah. star map that will lead to the Star Forge, which is we don't really know what that is as as of that point, um, but it has some kind of secret as to why the Sith are have this have this like uh, unstoppable power that they're uh, acquiring, and boy does that ooze uh, like Mass Effect like. There's a ton of parallels in story beats. At this point, where where did you guys go? Because you, you kind of have the opportunity to go in a few different directions, a few different places. Did you... Um, where did you go next? Brian. So the first time I played this game was so long ago, I do not remember. But in my recent play, I went to Kashyyyk. And I don't know why I picked it. Um, I just like Wookiees, I guess. I <laughs> thought it'd be a cool place to go. Now, the, the kicker is Zalbar, a chunk of that, he's not part of, like, he can't be in the mission with you. Yeah. Mission I took him could, with me, but... though. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, I, I took him in, too, because I was like, oh, I'm going to use, like, a, logic would say, He's a Wookiee. I'm going to a Wookiee planet. Let's let's bring in. And then uh, immediately, he's taken away. Yeah. There's one other point in the game where that happens, where suddenly you don't have somebody. But I don't. There's no other planet that just outright rips somebody away from you for an extended stretch of time. Corban doesn't technically. I mean, there's sort of the the individualized section there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. The the trials. Yeah. Yeah. So so the the, the other options you had Kashyyyk, Tatooine, uh, Manan, which is the like water planet. Yeah. And uh, Korriban, which is the Sith, the location of the Sith Academy, uh, which I saved as the last of those, not uh, not knowing like how things would time out. Uh, so it was interesting to go there after knowing some things and maybe i should let's let's I, i'm gonna throw this warning out now uh from this point on we're gonna go full spoiler uh because okay. I, I don't i don't, I don't want to dance around the big reveal so if you haven't played star wars Knights of the old republic uh, from this point on we may mention some important plot points just know that uh, i knew who i really was when I went to Korriban, which was really interesting because all the dialogue options were like me threatening them of like, do you know who I am? Um, that, it seems like everyone gravitates toward that one moment uh, and that reveal. Uh, how did you feel? How did you feel in that moment? Dan, I'm going to ask you first. Like, how did you feel about that reveal and like has star wars done anything since then or prior to then that was like on that level for you so it was one of those rare opportunities when the game throws a major plot wrench at you like that and it really didn't bother me which it, especially like even in a light side playthrough is a little surprising like you've been trying to build your character up one way and you find out that oh you were actually 
completely the other way for you know a chunk of your life um but i think it was done very very elegantly the actual mechanics of like the reveal and oh well now you get pushed out of the room and you can't deal with the fight and you have to leave but why not go around the corner like that's all fine happenstance uh, but the actual um the actual surprise there uh, i thought was really really well done um you could say it's sort of a parallel to what happens in episode five right again big reveal kind of changes your your look at the series um normally in rpgs i think the big hang-up is when you do that when you do kind of the big twist surprise um the risk there is that it invalidates some of what you've done uh i think in kotor it really succeeds in adding context uh to a lot of what's been happening around you why some of the principal actors have been a little more evasive why um some are more conflicted than others because they've been kind of hiding this from you uh, and I think it goes a long way to sort of this character development, right? It's not you being hit with a surprise and now you have to restructure what you're doing around it because your motives stay the same. It, it's sort of just restructuring how you're looking at everyone before and after. Yeah, because there's a few moments on the ship. Um, you've, you've, you've gone on to, you've, you've been kind of chasing this, this, this Dark Lord, Malik, um, who's the one who annihilated Terrace, and uh, you come to find that you were his master. I'll say it. You were Darth Revan. Um, Ooh! The... Ooh, <laughs> Revan. Who they've been building up this whole time. Like, it was, it's, it's very interesting, because you've been, you've been catching Revan in these, in these sort of visions, which were just flashbacks. Um, and then Basil is like, oh, you've been having these missions. I found it very interesting that, like, Karth and Basil knew Mm-hmm. And and didn't and and didn't tell you or like at least Basilin who um, it seems like Karth got re- got his news about that on that ship uh, from the admiral, which was like his admiral was it Saul? Saul, oh. mm-hmm. yeah. And so and then it was it was it was very much the like the whisper whisper and then he turns and he's just like what. <laughs> no. Like, no way. Um yeah. Like it's, I go ahead, Brian. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say that it's cool because um if you when you go back and replay it with this knowledge, you see all the little foreshadowing and little hints that everybody gives about your true identity that you know, when you're playing it the first time, you totally buy into like, oh, this is just force visions or you, you buy into this um, idea that you're just some smuggler or whatever that happened to join. And it's I think it's pretty impressive that they they managed to have such a twist. Include all of these little clues, but make them so subtle that they all fly under the radar until, you know. And then you're like, oh, my God, this is what they were talking about. Or, like, this is what's happening. I think that that was really cool. Uh, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. And I've, and I've played enough RPGs where there's the one big bad that you're chasing all game, and then you beat them, and then it's like, oh, well, there's this greater big bad behind them that's also important and consequential or whatever, right? Um, so early on, I was just sort of getting the vibe that it was all going to be set up, like, 
Malik is going to be the the principal antagonist for the game, but then when you defeat Malik, they're going to jump Revan out there like some sort of final, final boss. Um, so it was a little refreshing in a way to see that reveal too, because it was a little disjointed for me to have both the big bad and this other, like this one's the the master of the, the other big bad, and that they were both going by Darth, which, you know, in my limited Star Wars knowledge, it was a little weird to have multiple Darth characters in one storyline anyway, so... Um, I think that helped kind of reorient um, in my first playthrough. I'm still curious. Uh, Darth Malak has a very interesting look uh, and build to, especially his facial structure. Uh, and he's got kind of this 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 metal piece that sort of covers from basically his nostrils down. Um, yet in the flashbacks, he didn't have that. And they don't ever at least I never came across like the specific events that led up to that, uh, to that, uh, shift. But at one point you do see him without it. And it was very alarming. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I was like, how does that man eat? Um, <laughs> and I just, uh, I was, I was, I was very, very worried, but uh, like, I'd be intrigued to see, like, was that a Revan thing? Like, was that was that a, a an injury taken while he was trying to supplant Revan? Like, um, and I don't think they ever get into it, so we'll just have to let that live in our own headspace, I suppose. It's not easy for him to eat. He has to force it down. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. Without without us just kind of going walking through the entire story, what moments from this game did you find like worse among your favorites? Be it set pieces or missions or um, or something along those lines. Dan, I, I'm going to throw to you yeah. first on that. We've mentioned it once or twice already, um, but Terrace, um, as it's getting shelled, um, escaping on the Evan Hawk. Um, and then firing the turrets, like there's that turret mode that you have where you have to shoot the ships as you're escaping, right? You know, that's straight out of the let the player experience the, the fantasy of that sort of Star Wars dogfight, even if they're doing it, you know, from the turret uh, as opposed to, say, from like the ship. Um, the later game, uh, the MMO they did, SWOTOR, actually gave you sort of that full um, rail shooter effect. Uh, but this gave you sort of that similar to the old Star Wars movies where the, um, Luke is, like, jumps into the turret and, you know, he's shooting the turret while Han's flying. It's sort of the same vibe. It's another callback moment, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really exciting. And then also, not just the cutscene of seeing all the devastation to Terrace as you're, as you're flying away from it, um, but it gives you a little bit of insight into Malak. You know, he has tremendous resources He's incredibly malicious, right? He has no regard for the, the millions of lives he's, he's extinguishing. But he's also a little careless, right? He's imperfect. He doesn't notice everything that's going on. He notices most of what's going on. Um, so I think it sets him up nicely as an imminent threat, as sort of this inevitable evil, but not something that's insurmountable. This is very simple, but I was really impressed with the opening of the game. The the crawl and then the you know pan to ship under attack 
and you know the music's blaring and there's ships flying everywhere and blasters and you know this thing um gets wrecked and is crashing into the planet and i was actually like really impressed with that even though the game is what like how old is it like 2003 uh, so yeah. 17 yeah. years so like in the year well, I guess I saw this in 2019, but I was still impressed with that opening cinematic for how old that game is. It it was also very on brand Star Wars. You know, I mean, it like kind of had that same opening drama that you get from the movies, and I I thought that was really cool. Kind of sure. sets the scene. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I'm a big fan too. I, I think the opening scene simultaneously sells to the people who want a Star Wars experience. Good news, that's what you're getting. Um, while also um, giving the player a good chance to get comfortable with all the mechanics of the game, right? It, it's kind of hard to do that. You don't want to walk into the room and say, hi, welcome to Star Wars. Press B to jump, you know, press A to switch weapons or whatever. Um, but at the same time, you do need to get the character or the player familiar with all the, the ways the game works because it is kind of a complicated game to play. Like you said in your first playthrough, right? It, it, it The strangeness that system can turn players off if they're not, you know. So the, it's good that they try to set up that first mission in the ship to try to make it one to kind of make players comfortable with the game. Let me talk a little bit about my, my moment with Bastila. So Bastila tries to defend you uh, and then is taken by Malik. Well, you or you escape, but right, she's she's, she's with Malik. You get the yeah, you get the the blast door closing, um, which you could totally cut through because that's a thing, and uh, but you don't. And we come to find that that she has at one point she has been turned to the dark side, and uh, you have a couple of encounters with her. the The final one, which is like she is the sub boss effectively and i tried to talk her out of it and i and i i said like there was there are moments when there's people who go oh woe is me uh and then you say it's fine you can be good again like this is okay like uh, we welcome you back come on take my hand it'll be all right and then she doesn't and so like the juhani thing I had no choice. Like she, I basically told her at least four or five times, like, I want you up by my side. Be good. Like you can, you can come back from this. Look what I look, I did. And she, she ultimately makes me strike her down. And I'm just like, well, great. Like I would have loved to have her next to me for the final fight, which I, as I understand, there's a way to do it. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, I, I did not figure figure that out. I did, although I didn't uh, necessarily know um, what I needed to do to get Bastila to turn. I just remember that I did. Um, part of that was I'm a bit of an obsessive completionist, so I was making sure that I was picking up as many light side points as possible. Sure. And then part of that, again, remember my build was Persuade and Treat Injury. So I had a healthy amount of persuasion going into a lot of those dialogue, you know, options. Um, it makes a load of difference. I think 
after playing it a couple times, I went back and actually, I think the magic number is like 13 or 15 or something that you want to hit for those. Um, I'm sure people have guides up at this point that will tell you exactly what number you need to, to meet all of your, I guess, narrative uh, goals game-wise, but I think the magic number is somewhere around there. Uh, it happened to have it. Um, so because by happenstance, I happened to have what I needed to get the ending I wanted, I did. Um, that does disappoint me a little bit, though. It, it's frustrating that um, the game would, behind, I guess, somewhat opaque um, rules or requirements, um, make it impossible to, uh, to have certain characters at the end or have characters end up the way they end up. I think the way you solve that might have been having those consequences happen to an NPC, right? If early on in the game you had seen that failing to say the right things or failing to communicate stuff um, you know, would cause people to turn evil or to die um, in unexpected ways. And it would actually kind of show you, like, um, in those, I think they had the little square brackets, and it would say, like, persuade five and then a message or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you sort of convince a player that that's, it's not a dump stat. It's not something you can avoid, right? That you need to to prioritize that somewhat. It's tough, especially because, you you know, you were playing Soldier and you have limited skill points with that compared to, you know, um, if you're playing Smuggler. Um, but it is something that, unfortunately, from um, a story perspective, you just have to be a smooth talker. It's not necessarily going to go the way you want it to. Yeah. I, I, I just looked it up. You have to get 15 uh, prompts correct. Like, okay. you have to select 15 correct prompts to, uh, like... Uh, and, and and if you're dark side, you don't fight her at all. Um, you fight right. additional Jedi. But, um, but yeah, so I I failed. And it was, <laughs> was it was a sad moment because I went from like this is the character like she was by my side the whole time, and I'm just like yes, I'm gonna turn her back. It's gonna be this glorious like moment, and then that happens. I didn't want this. I didn't want this. But that's still impactful, right? It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about it right now. Like, yeah. there's, they, it, 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 it has stuck with me even more so than than fighting Malik himself. And, and you make a good point, right? Um, happy endings aren't always necessarily the most memorable endings or the best endings um, from a, a storytelling perspective. Um, I always think of stuff like going completely off base here: the movie The African Queen, um, where they're all laying on the deck of the ship. And they're about to give up, and everything seems hopeless, and the camera is kind of panning back, and you see they're only like 20 or 30 feet from open water. And if the movie ends there, it's a completely different movie than if they miraculously just decide, all right, I'm feeling better, let's keep piloting, and they, you know, they get to the other side of open waters, and then it's a happy ending. Um, it's like if in Gone with the Wind, you know. Frankly, my dear, I love you. Let's get married. And, you know, instead of. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, a, a, the best ending maybe isn't necessarily always the happiest. But KOTOR does a good job of giving you a cohesive ending, regardless of whether it's, you know, evil, good, um, what you want out of it. That because the decisions you make do kind of flow and matter over time. Um, I think one of the things that makes it a satisfying ending, light side or dark side, is that sort of it doesn't jump unexpectedly at the end. It kind of it follows what you are trying to achieve is usually kind of what you get out of it. Bioware does a fairly good job of kind of steering you towards your um, your desired endings, or in the case of Mass Effect, coloring your desired endings. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's cool though that a game 
can make you care about an NPC so much that that moment when you lose them really has an impact on you, you know? And I like, I like probably most people hadn't really heard of Bioware before this game, but then like after this and then, um, Dragon Age and Mass Effect, it like they got so good at writing such interesting characters that like you really get attached to them. And I think that's super impressive, especially like for a game this old, you know, that they can have that character in the game for so long and so much, so much dialogue and so much interaction. And, you know, you feel like you get to know them almost. And then, you know, maybe they get snatched away or maybe you redeem them. And it's like that build up throughout the entire game makes that moment so much more important. And you don't really get that with many other games or types of games. So I think that's, that's cool that you can be sad that yeah. <laughs> you didn't save her. Yeah. That's too bad. Again, motiv- <laughs> motivation to go back and try and write, write the wrongs and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the beautiful thing is there's, there's so much to this. There's not just light side, dark side, you know, there's, there's tons of choices throughout the whole game that can take you in different directions. There's, you know, you can choose, like, I, I did very little on some of the planets, like the, the Manon missions, like there's, there's a lot of side stuff, uh, including a trial uh, akin to <laughs> reminding me a little bit of Chrono Trigger um, that I just talked my way out of, which was strange that I was able to do that because I shouldn't have been able to. Um, I'm yeah. kind of curious. There was one uh, sort of side mission on Dantooine where uh, Jedi asked you to help him solve a murder case, and there's two suspects. Do you guys remember playing through that? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I'm, cu- I'm curious who you picked as the murderer and what the outcome was. I think I was, I think I was wrong. So there was the guy who um, was in a business with the deceased. And then there was a guy whose wife was cheating on him with the deceased. Right. It's so Handland and, or Handen and Lusoff. Rick, Rickard. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Handen and Rickard. See, I picked Rickard as the murderer, and it turned out I was wrong. Um, and Handon was the actual murderer, and I let him go. And basically, uh, the the Jedi, I can't remember his name, uh, he was like, you know, let this be a lesson, you know, not to jump to conclusions or whatever. But I have a sneaking suspicion that that quest is written so that no matter what you pick, you're always wrong. And I wanted to kind of verify if that was true or not. So I can, not. I can verify for you out of strategy guide itself that you have to come up with a double guilty verdict. Ah, see, I didn't even know that was an option. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> yeah, you, there's, I guess, inconsistencies in both of their stories, and you can prove that they're both lying. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there was both of them were lying at points, but I, I don't remember them there being an option to say both are guilty, but maybe I overlooked it. That's yeah. tricky. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yes, I think so yes, you are, you are set up to fail in that moment. Yeah. Uh 
if you, if you don't have that there. I think that one opens up based on the dialogue choices you make when you're asking questions to them. Sort mm -hmm. of almost adventure gaming. There's a moment on Kashyyyk where you have to sort of solve a puzzle um, with the hologram on the star for or on the star map, mm -hmm. and and you have to you have to put yourself in the mind of the person who came here before you and unlocked it previously, which was <laughs> uh, which was Revan. Yeah, which was you surprisingly, but but so as a light side person, I'm like. How would I answer? Like, I had to think of how I would answer this as a fifth. Now, there, there's another way that you can you can answer those, and that's to refuse to... I, I think you can refuse to answer enough times, and eventually he'll just let it... Yeah, there's some other creative ways to deal with Korriban. Um, like, uh, the instructor wants you to betray... Or wants you to get her alone with the master so that she can, so she can take him out. Right. Uh, which is, which is uh, again, sets up an entire fight based on how that plays out. Yeah. Whether you kill the apprentice, whether you kill the master, whether you kill both, um, you can get some interesting dialogue out of him if you, I think, agree to her plan and then go tattle. I think when you get to the final thing, if you defend him, you get some interesting dialogue from him from that. They know who you are, like they figure it out, and they agree to serve you when you become like Sith Lord again. Um, when you rebuild yourself as, you know, Darth Revan or whatever, like there's a way to basically get them to swear fealty to you. Oh, that's, <laughs> so, that's pretty cool. That's, yeah. pretty cool. Oh, that's great. Um, I did want to give some acknowledgement to a couple of people who had some thoughts from the community. So I, I, I do want to mention, I, I threw this out on Twitter today um, that we were recording tonight. Uh, I got a couple of comments. Um, one of them from, uh, I basically just asked, like, tell me what you thought about the game. Um, and so from one, which was Stumptown Retro, who said, um, it's a game I play annually due to its well-written stories, characters, and environmental uh, that sets us far enough away from the films that it allows for completely different themes and elements that didn't have to tie into anything already done. It's brilliant. And the other came from uh, Church, uh, the game grinder, who played along this month as well. So thank you for playing along with Prime Church. Uh, and he said, uh, it's Bioware, so of course it's excellent, and leave it to them to do the best Star Wars. I felt more on the Neverwinter Dragon Age side rather than the Mass Effect, but this was that era. So, again, thank you to both of them for taking the time to, to, to uh, voice some opinions there. We were just overall in a good spot, and we all not, really like Kotor. Yeah, not many. Um, I I do like it for the most part. Um, I would say I'm a little disappointed it hasn't been 
um, in 2020 really fully mastered and resolved in a way that's completely bug-free or completely crash-free. Um, I we had issues when we tried. We were going to play it for Ion Gaming on Xbox, and we were having some issues there. And then I tried to bring it up on my own PC to play it, and the Steam version I was having issues with. So um, it's one of those things where, it, at this point, I'd love to have it um, fixed. But I mean, they put such ridiculous effort into getting this thing out in the first place. I mean, it was in development since I want to say like they were planning it in 1999 and started working on it in 2000. And for the three years they're working on it, um, it was a massive workload that, that, that they were undertaking. Um, the uh, boss fight book on it goes into a lot of detail on the, on the work conditions. So the last thing I want is to, to put them through, you know, even more uh, work to, to get it out there. Um, what did get released was terrific. Um, but it was a shame that, you know, it's just unfortunate that those bugs were there. Um, Otherwise, no. I mean, the D20 system was the best system they had on hand at the time that was sort of recognizable and licensable because the Coast did license out the D20 system to, to people who wanted to use it. Um, and it was interesting because they came from a board game background, like a bunch of the characters uh, in KOTOR are based off of tabletop characters that the lead designer for, for KOTOR, you know, um, is Karth, Bastila, um, Mission, and someone else are all like actually based off tabletop characters and games they were playing. Uh, so D20 seems like a natural nice. fit, but it's not the most balanced system in the world. Um, it's one of those systems that third edition had so many min-max opportunities that they turned around and did 3.5, and, and that's really the only um, you know time I remember someone going so far as to canonically come up with like a whole different decimal for for a D&D system. Kind of had first edition, second edition. Third edition, three point five to try to to work out some of the kinks, um, and then even Pathfinder, which um, Paizo buys, you know, D twenty and works with it to essentially make three point seven five or whatever you want to call uh, what Pathfinder is now, um, and then fourth and fifth. Uh, so D 20s kind of wonkiness, its own foibles. Um, I guess you have to place those on the lap of this game since they chose to use the uh, the system. Uh, but it's not the worst thing in the world, and it, it does make it so that if you are comfortable doing that theory crafting, um, that there are more than ample opportunities to kind of make a broken character, whether you want to play melee, ranged, or caster. Um, I'd say my only complaints about the game are based on my modern viewpoint. They're not necessarily faults with the game, but things that I've become accustomed to with modern gaming. I really would have loved more frequent auto saves because I found myself saving after every fight and after every lengthy discussion, because I didn't want to have to do it again. If I, if I died and as we discussed before, some of the fights were pretty hard. So it wasn't even in the very beginning of the game, you know, it wasn't that uncommon to, to die and it just kicks you back out to the main menu. And it's like, well, good luck loading wherever you saved last. So, you know, from my modern perspective, I'd liked a lot more auto saves. Um, I think that's really it. Like, basically, in my most recent playthrough, I was pausing the game to save every five minutes because <laughs> I was too lazy yeah. to to have to replay something. Um, but I have no no complaints about the game. You know, from the point of view of its the time period it was made in. I think it's great. It 
Like I didn't run into any bugs personally, other than a couple of little, you know, get stuck on some geometry for a second, and you know that's that's not a big deal. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty solid game. Fantastic. Yeah, I I, I agree with the saving. Um, but yeah, I think you guys have summed it up. I think I got well. one more beef. Um, sure. Nobody's fault, but I think there was another planet. <clears throat> I forgot who told me this. They were working on one additional planet they had to cut that was supposed to be a hut planet that was all based around, like, gladiatorial combat. Which makes sense because the movie Gladiator had just come out in 2000. So it was, you know, contemporary to when they were developing the game, but they were supposed to have this, like, gladiatorial arena as one of the of the planets. And I really would have joined that just personally because I always liked, um, you know, the Colosseum in the Final Fantasy games or, you know, the... Um, deep dungeon and tactics or any of those sort of bonus challenge, like really test your combat skill uh, locations. Obviously you could have some interesting story beats there. Um, but just as a, just a numbers RPG guy would have been fun to try to try different builds in a sort of one-on-one -on -one combat thing like that. Do they, is there the ability to respec? Can you respec in this? I don't think so. Let me look that up i don't think you can actually because th those two things would go hand in hand then right if you could respec and then and then go into go into that type of combat scenario. there's a mod for it which i think implies maybe you can't by default <laughs> okay because there's because there is a very early combat arena type thing in in taurus but you're barely accustomed to the game at that point mm -hmm. uh and you know, I, you get an item that you get items that I, I don't think are very long-term usable, right? It's it's like great, good job, you. Yeah, managed it's, to... like, it's just so you can earn a few credits, right? To mm -hmm. to buy a few things. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It would have been cool to have something a little more challenging later on. Yeah. Now I think I think uh, my one beef, and then we can kind of think probably call it a show uh is i feel like and they fixed this with the second game and they fixed it with mass effect as well like like the whole binary aspect to good and evil is a little convenient um the fact that that light side and dark side points are uh almost a currency and they cancel each other out i feel is a little strange like there's not there's not enough gray area i think in those Wotor has uh, you can be Sith or a Republic and light side or dark side. So you could be like a light side member of the Empire or a dark side member of the Republic. Um, but they're not separate in KOTOR. Now, I mostly agree with you. Star Wars as a vehicle tends to have a pretty flat binary good and evil right it always kind of casts itself that way mm -hmm. um mechanically it's a little boring after a while and it becomes fairly easy to pick out what option you need to pick to get your desired you know right. cookie of choice um the second one um does have that neutral character sort of driving a, a lot of the story which i think has a lot to do with making it more nuanced um i probably would have liked kotor 2 more if it had been finished kotor 1 does steer you very i guess it's sort of on rails to a point um once you kind of decide what way you want to go with it 
Um, so yeah, there's not a lot of, I guess, um, heavier lessons learned morality. Um, but in terms of feeling like a good Star Wars clone, it does kind of have that satisfying um, conclusion, whether you're going to try to take over the galaxy or save it. I would agree with you, and I'd kind of tack on, um, for me personally, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I cannot bring myself to be a jerk even in a video game. So I always play the good guy, the Boy Scout. Um, and part of the problem, I think, that reinforces that behavior is that the the dark side options are like so dark it's like i can either say hey i'm here to help or i'm going to kill you there's like (laughs) like can't i be like you know maybe not the greatest guy but not just a mass murderer like give me some options in the middle there somewhere then maybe i could expand the range that i'm comfortable with um so yeah that that is maybe one other thing that i'd add as a complaint is just the some of the dark side options are just like comically evil. Like it, it would just be almost funny to pick them <laughs> if I didn't feel such a, like a jerk about it. Yeah, it's it's true. They they really don't have a lot of oxygen in the room for antihero in Kotor, and where it does exist in the text, you tend to get dark side points for picking it. Um, you know, when the opportunity does come up, or because the writer for that particular you know quest decided, well, the, the dark side option just because the stakes of this particular thing might be less heavy than others, um, right? Find something, give it back to someone or keep it, you know. Um, it, it feels like the consequences are too stark, right? It's, it's oh, well, you know, I picked something off the ground that I knew belongs to somebody, but I kept it. So um, especially uh, there's sort of a curve that happens with light side and dark side. You know, if you're farther up on those curves one way or the other and you pick something that goes the other way, you drop down or uh, move up more precipitously, right? So even in late game, you know, if you pick one wrong dialogue option, it feels like you're losing four or five light side or dark side points towards that, you know, um, mastery of that side. And then you're slogging your way back with multiple choices to get back there. Do we mention the music? We, I briefly mentioned that it's familiar. Because um... it's a questionable topic to go into. You think? Let's well, let me let me hear your thoughts. Then, uh, yeah, let, let, let's hear your thoughts on the music, and we'll, so, and we'll use that as kind of the. Well, okay. So on on the one hand, um, it really does capture that John Williams vibe, um, and, and you know, to to great effect. Um, on the other hand, uh, I have a little trouble getting too jazzed up to hear it. Um, I really liked both this soundtrack and the Morrowind soundtrack. Um. They're both Jeremy Soule soundtracks, right? And in the last year, um, it's been a thing, you know, we're kind of uh, in this position now where you're trying to separate, you know, the work, the artist from the work and all that. And, you know, so it, so it is challenging. Um, I did, when I was uh, watching the, the Let's Plays, the last time I was going through and um, consuming KOTOR, um, you know, the music was on, I was listening to it, I was enjoying it, you know, it's great nostalgia, great memories and stuff, but... Um, but yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Um, I do need to go back and reread um, the uh, Boss Fight book. You mentioned Caleb had done a, a review on it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to catch that as well. Um, but I am curious, uh, I guess, kind of a state of play thing before and after uh, for a lot of the people um, involved in making this. Yeah, I I think with the music, um, the one thing when you have music that is tied to combat and then the music lets up um, when it doesn't let up and you're just like, where is it? Where is it? What's what's happening? Like sometimes that can pull you out a little bit. Um, but overall, I, I I would agree that it it does a good job to kind of fit the mold, and it 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 doesn't feel out of place um, to me at all. I don't really have strong opinions about the music. Uh, I do, I I did think that it sounded appropriately Star Wars. I did, however, and I, I did not know that Jeremy Soule did this. But I think it was maybe on Dantooine. I was like, this music sounds like it's straight from Morrowind or maybe Oblivion or something. Like, it sounded so familiar to me. I don't know if it just happened to be similar or if he actually used the same track in multiple games. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. But, like, other other than that weird thing, the music was appropriate to the point that I never questioned it. I was just like, this is good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it sounds like Star Wars, right? Do you guys have any other final thoughts or final comments that you wanted to make, or uh, shall we shall we wrap up? Um. Well, I would say if you're not averse to cheating, um, you can get Darth Malak's lightsaber, uh, and it's plus five attack, plus five damage in a 17 to 20 crit range. <laughs> um, so if for any reason uh, you find yourself struggling in the game and you're not averse to popping open the console and typing something in, um, that's a really fun weapon to swing around. I would just say that I loved uh, this game and the sequel. I didn't, I didn't know about how KOTOR 2 had some development issues until after I had played it, but I still enjoyed it. I was really disappointed in the Old Republic, the MMO, because I love these two games so much, and I felt like that one was so different. I'd really like them to bring back this single-player version of it. Give us a third one. That'd be great. You just remaster the first two in the process. and uh, <laughs> There you go. Yeah. I, I, I will say that if if you have been played this yet and if you know you've listened to us this whole time like i my best recommendation uh yes you can find it on steam you can find it on ios like it's on everything uh for the most part the backwards compatibility on xbox one with this is fantastic um and the visual upgrade is beautiful like Especially some of the some of the worlds really pop. Uh, the the unknown the unknown planet that you're on toward the end of the game. Uh, even Tatooine looks great, even with the sand getting everywhere, and uh, <laughs> like it. It's just really well done. And, I mean, it shows how well this game holds up over all these years. So. Play it, play it, absolutely. So, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate you you being on. Again, on behalf of the club uh, and the other hosts of CC Prime, I want to thank both 
Brian and Dan for joining us today to talk about Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Brian, where are the best places that people can find you and your content? I am on Twitter at HokieBriz, and I am on the Off Kilter podcast. That's off hyphen kilter with two L's. And you can find that pretty much anywhere. And you can always go to polykill.com to see everything else. Good. Dan, what's ahead for uh, Winter Ion Game Studios and where else can people find you and your content? So we just posted our season four recap. Um, it's where we kind of go over everything we did uh, this year, what we're looking forward to playing what uh, next year, um, hold a little in memoriam for the bosses we defeated along the way. Um, we probably won't have anything out for a few weeks, which means it's the perfect time to jump back in if you haven't seen it. Um, it's all available at youtube.com slash Studios. If that's too hard to find, just go to winterion.com. There's a link there. Uh, you can also find me at Twitter at winterion. Very good. Uh, and then for me, you can find me on Twitter at mustyhobbit. Uh, and I also do make a point of streaming the game of the month uh, almost every month uh, on my Twitch channel twitch.tv slash musty hobbit so with this we close out another episode of the cartridge club uh, for the month of january uh, cartridge club prime is playing castle of illusion starring mickey mouse available on the sega genesis master system and the game gear Uh, if you enjoyed this show you should also take a moment to listen to our sister podcast cartridge club portable Uh, January for CC Portable is Mobile Month, and with uh, the community and listeners focusing on games exclusive to mobile platforms such as Super Mario Run and more. Uh, And lastly, the Quick Save Club will be getting all kinds of sneaky by playing Thief the Dark Project for January. Uh, To those of you who are interested in supporting the club beyond a review on the podcast app of your choice, I'd like to mention the Cartridge Club Prime Portable and our website are entirely funded by pledges made by members of our community. We're extremely grateful to those supporters. And if you're interested in becoming one of them, please look into how you can do that at patreon.com slash cartridge club. I look forward to hearing from you sometime real soon. DC Unite.